Hello and welcome to Accountability Talks with AGA. I'm your host, Paul Marshall. Today we have our current AGA president, Jerry Bowes. He's joining us today to talk about his agenda for the year, his, his theme, what he's trying to accomplish. We talk about fiscal sustainability, about thought leaders and problem solvers. And of course, about innovative technologies. So, without further ado, let's talk to the Prez, Mr. Jerry Bowes. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Okay, so today we are proud to have our current president, AGA president on the line, Mr. Jerry Bowes. Jerry, how are you doing today? Uh, doing well, Paul. Uh, thanks for having me with you today. Absolutely. So why don't we just start off, uh, maybe give our audience a little background on yourself, you know, your day job, and then we'll kind of get into your presidential duties after that. Okay, sounds good. Uh, yeah, I'm Jerry Bowes. Um, I'm, I'm with my day job. I, I'm, I'm the technical manager for the uh, Tennessee Division of State Audit for the Comptroller of the Treasury's office. And, and essentially what that means is, uh, I, I basically am responsible for our quality assurance. So uh, any of our financial statement audit reports, uh, just really in for the uh, primarily make sure that those are in compliance with the auditing and accounting standards, uh, and then everything else, of course, that that goes with that. And 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 part of being a, a CPA and an auditor uh, is also external and uh, internal peer reviews, and so that's another big task. I also um, attend all the GASB uh, Governmental Accounting Standards Board meetings uh, as an observer for um, our organization and plus uh, the National Association of State Auditors, Controllers, and Treasurers. So uh, that's kind of an inside baseball uh, task that that uh, I, I perform that um, actually ends up being quite useful for for us in the field because <laughs> uh, we, we like to know the, how the sausage is made sometimes. That's right. And well, that's it in a nutshell, Paul. Gotcha. No, that's great. Yeah, happy to have you as the president this year. And we wanted to get into maybe just start off with kind of what your, your overall theme or goals are for the year, and then we'll kind of go down from there and talk about some specific uh, items. But maybe just kick us off with kind of your high-level theme for the year. Okay. Yeah. Um, in when I was uh, thinking about developing my theme – um, I, I really kind of looked at what uh, what past national presidents had had done, and then I also looked at our our AGA strategic plan, and and something that popped out at me that was was not only interesting but something that I uh, am somewhat passionate about is is what became my theme as thought leaders and problem solvers, and um, you know it's something that's key to the the goals and objectives of AGA from a strategic standpoint. And it most certainly is, represents our AGA members. Um, when I look at our AGA members and I've, I've interacted with our AGA members uh, across the country, uh, it's very clear that we have a lot of talented and smart uh, individuals in our in our organization. And uh, and part of that is, you know, we all face across the country, we all face challenges, issues, and, and problems, and whether it's for our organizations or for our, uh, for our AGA chapters individually, um, we all come up with those uh, innovative solutions to deal with those, those challenges, and part of that is 
you know, ensuring that we share those best practices with with each other. And so, you know, just over the years, um, you know, that seemed to be a, a, a part of it that uh, resonated with me. Um, and really, I think the most important part, yeah, coming up with those innovative ideas, whether they're, they're going to have a big or small impact is important. To me, the, the most important part is the problem solver side of my thinking. And that is where uh, our AGA members are coming up with those actual solutions uh, to those problems that we face. And uh, it can lead us to uh, solutions-oriented decision-making. So, so that uh, is the overall theme and the components of it that really are driving what I, I'm wanting to focus on this year and, and currently are is the challenge that really COVID uh, pre presented us. And, and that mostly is uh, not just our association, but pretty much all professional associations um, has had challenges with membership, um, maintaining and growing membership. And of course, to me, the membership is the lifeblood of the organization. Um, and so really getting a handle on, on turning the trend around. And now that we're starting to get more in person, uh, that is starting to take off and, and the trend is going in the right direction again. Um, and then another focus is, is as an AGA member, we're all familiar with the Certified Government Financial Manager certification or designation, the CGFM. Um, I may have a bias in this area since I served as the um, chair of the Professional Certification Board that oversaw the CGFM. Uh, I was on the board for seven years and chair for four so the CGFM uh, is another focus because I, I look at it as kind of foundational to everything we do in AGA, and um, that that directly relates to professional development, leadership development. And then the other thing I also want to focus on too, Paul, is the intergovernmental partnership, uh, and I know we'll talk about that a little bit later, uh, but that is something that's uh, one of those kind of, not necessarily best kept secrets, but it is a, a one of those uh, great tools in the AGA toolkit that um, maybe not all members are aware of, uh, but has a lot of beneficial tools and resources that can uh, do all the things I've said so far, you know, about, about thought leadership and problem solving. That's great. And it sounds like uh, you've been able to go around to some chapters around the country. Um, have you had a chance to get out there a little bit? Yeah, actually I have. Mo up until last week, uh, all my presentations to chapters had been virtually. Uh, as president-elect, I got to, I think, go virtually to five or six chapters. And then as president, uh, it's been uh, uh, a lot. Uh, but last week, I actually got to go to my first in-person uh, chapter visit, and that was to the Jackson, uh, Mississippi chapter. Uh, and so it was good to see a lot of familiar faces and, and, and build those relationships again. Uh, in person and the networking opportunities that, you know, AGA has is one of those value propositions. Um, so that, that was important to me. And, and I, I have several that are coming up that are going to be in person. In fact, actually next week, the, uh, I'm going to visit the uh, Tallahassee chapter uh, where our, our current uh, national president elect uh, resides. So that uh, that's going to be good as well. So I'm looking forward to that. And um and so, yeah, the, the in-person visits are, are coming up. And so that, that's a good thing. Yeah. And we're starting to slowly open up a little bit here and there, you know, fits and starts, but, uh, I mean, that's really the, 
the key for us, the networking, the in-person is just how, how we get things done. That's just reality. Um, Absolutely. So, and I like, you know, obviously the theme is great, you know, thought leaders, problem solvers, getting things done. And you want to talk a little bit about, so we're talking about, you know, not just big picture, federal, state, and local governments, but even just things like community service and things like that. What what are you seeing there? Oh, yeah. Um, One of the, one of the big uh, community service events that I thought was very fascinating uh, it, was, it was a presentation that was done at our AGA lead um, back in, in the spring uh, last year, and the New York Capital chapter actually did a presentation on a community service event that they, that they were doing, and, um, and, and really it was kind of a twofold purpose, that I, at least that I saw as it fits within my theme. Um, they... Uh, whether it was a, a chapter member, I forget that that uh, has uh, daughters that are are Girl Scouts. They came up with an idea to teach financial literacy to the Girl Scout troops there, and I thought that was absolutely a fantastic idea because uh, not only is it providing a great community service event, but it also to me has a a, a second purpose, and and that is developing the next generation of of, uh, financial literate and independent uh, thinkers from a financial uh, standpoint and in the future, hopefully, retirement standpoint. And so, uh, you know, it's teaching those lessons to, uh, you know, the Girl Scouts there that uh, they can be financially independent. And uh, so, so that, to me, was one of those great innovative ideas that, you know, our leaders, our AGA leaders are coming up with uh, that also provides a community service event. And other chapters also are doing, uh, you know, other things too that are serving their communities, giving back to the communities and, you know, that we always do, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, food banks or uh, Salvation Army or, or, uh, you know, things like that. It's, reading to elementary kids, um, you know, all of those different things that our chapters do, it, it gives back to, uh, to our community. So, um, AGA has been, and our chapters have been well known for doing, uh, community service events, uh, well, pretty much in our 72 year history. Uh, it happens every year, every decade. And, uh, and I, I certainly, and am grateful for AGA members who continue to do that. Absolutely. No, and I love that. that your theme kind of goes all the way from the top to the bottom or wherever you want to call it, across multiple areas. You know, just get, get things done. I mean, people want to, you know, spread the word and get financial literacy out there, you know, encourage students in the accounting world. So I think this is a great a great theme that spreads across all these areas. Um, so, so yeah, it is, uh, Paul. Because uh, I mean, you're you're probably well aware, but uh, our you know our current U.S. Comptroller General uh, of the U.S. Gene Dodaro and uh, his predecessor David Walker talked about fiscal unsustainability, you know, at all levels of government for well, it seems like 20 years, and others have done the same thing. So this is one of those solutions that you know a chap- chapter member or members have come up with that you know, it's going to take generations to, to fix. And so I think that's, that's just one of those great ideas that can have a, a positive uh, material impact going forward. 
Absolutely. So something else I, I've heard you talk about is, you know, you, you are very into some of these innovative tools and approaches that are out there. Um, you want to talk a little bit about that, you know, just advanced analytics, RPA, maybe how that's helping us get things done and maybe also can address some folks that are, there's this great resignation going on. Maybe people need some new skill sets. I don't know. What, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Um, I, I think it, you know, it boils down from starting at the, the great resignation uh, standpoint. And, you know, of course we've known this for years that, uh, you know, the baby boomers are retiring and, um, you know, of course now it's, it's happening much more in greater numbers. And, you know, that's a lot, a lot of, of brain power and institutional knowledge across our organizations that's walking out the door that if we haven't, if we haven't properly planned for succession planning, uh, it, it can result in great challenges to our organizations. And of course, as we well know right now with the great resignation, um, it's, it's a challenge for most organizations to hire the talent and skill sets that they need to continue to provide the services and that that at the same level that we're providing now. And so, and we're, and and not only that, but we're all fighting for the same talent, Uh, whether it's, uh, you know, governmental agencies or it is the private sector, not-for-profits, you know, academic uh, institutions. uh, It doesn't matter. We're all fighting for that same talent. And um, to, to me, one of the tools uh, that has to help help solve the issue uh, has to be the you know the technology that we that we ha- now have available to us, uh, and just some of those tools that uh, the audience may you know be well aware of. Um, obviously, with COVID now, you know we've gotten very used to virtual meetings, and so that has become. Uh, a great tool for us to be able to use. It's convenient. Uh, it allows us actually, in, from an audit perspective, sometimes actually has sometimes more pros than it does cons and has allowed us to be a little more efficient. You know, before we never thought that we could get the work done unless we were actually in the office or in the field doing it. And uh, with COVID, we found out that, yeah, we can actually do it with the tools that we now have available to us uh, and do it virtually and do it still have that quality, uh, still be efficient and effective in doing what we're doing. Uh, but some of those tools um, that we're now starting, at least our office is now starting to get involved in, but others have, have been doing this now for probably about four years, uh, is robotic process automation. I know the federal government uh, in some of its agencies, they actually were uh, that along with the, in, in the private sector CPA firms, uh, were kind of leading the charge with RPA and, and, the ways that they were using it uh, and have had really good successes with it. Um, They'll take those voluminous repetitive transactions and automate those processes. uh, And they are showing a lot of cost savings uh, based on on FTE and the number of individuals uh, and the hours that are put into those processes when it was manual. Uh, So they're saving a lot of time and effort and and producing less errors in in the meantime. Uh, so we're now just starting to get in, into that, um, at least at the state level in Tennessee, um, the Department of Finance Administration uh, is now in the process of uh, assessing all of their their processes uh, across the state in, in the agencies and uh, finding those common 
uh, processes and those that are more agency specific and in determining where they can use RPA or bots to uh, just become more effective and more efficient. Uh, artificial intelligence, AI, and machine learning, uh, that's another area that we are certainly starting to, to utilize a lot more. Uh, and how we're going to utilize that, Paul, is uh, really in the area of when we have to audit leases, contracts, or grant agreements. Uh, if, we, if we were to take an audit team and, and try to do that manually, well, we, we wouldn't have enough time or resources to do that. Plus, plus uh, uh, I can assure you that we wouldn't get very far in before everybody was asleep. Uh, so, so this is where the AI and machine learning can go through and read all of those documents for us as we input the keywords and terms that we're looking for. We know what the expectations we want to see so that we can actually audit 100% rather than do samples. Uh, that is going to improve our audit processes tremendously uh, and allow us to do more value-added uh, service as well. Uh, and then for those agencies, uh, you know, that are more customer service focused. Um, you have the chat bots. You know, when we when we order something on Amazon or anywhere, Walmart online, you know, the box that pops up that, you know, can we help you? Well, that's one of those chat bots. It's intended to be helpful without an actual real person that's doing it. Uh, those are ways that even at the government level, providing customer service to um, to our citizens is extremely important and, and I think is something that they're going to have to really do because um, the nature of providing service is changing and the expectations from the citizens of how they get service is changing. And so we're going to have to come up with these innovative ideas and use these tools that are available to us uh, to be able to provide the service to the citizens at, at the quality uh, and timeliness that they expect. And so that's kind of one of those. Uh, another one is the blockchain. Uh, at this point, everybody's probably heard of Bitcoin, uh, but the blockchain is going to be instrumental to uh, the way that I see it from the standpoint of, as I talked about leases, uh, contracts, and grant agreements, it's going to be uh, smart contracts, smart leases, smart grant agreements, and uh, it provides an audit trail for us. It, it will allow the same thing with AI where we can go in and look at these. But it's all electronic. It, it's it's searchable. It allows us to see all the terms, and the the quicker I think the government start going down this path and working with vendors uh, to get all of the like with GASB 87 uh, and leases standard, all of the things that GASB requires from a from a standpoint in there of accounting and financial reporting and note disclosure, all of those key terms uh, can be incorporated within the smart contract or smart lease, and that makes it much easier for us to be able to not only audit, but also for uh, the auditee to be able to account for those transactions at, uh, appropriately and ensure compliance. Uh, so, so the blockchain, I think, is going to be extremely important. Then you look at the other side of the blockchain with the digital assets, uh, and we just have a couple of examples just in, uh, well, one in Tennessee, and then, a, and then one in, in Miami, Florida, uh, in, in Jackson, Tennessee, our, our mayor is trying to, uh, or he at least wants to pay employees' salaries in crypto, so, so in this case in Bitcoin. Uh, but state law or, or constitution doesn't allow that to happen, so he's 
he's going to use a uh, an RFP for a third-party salary converter where the employees would then have the ability to take their salary or a portion of their salary and convert that into, into Bitcoin. Uh, he also wants to be able to pay vendors in Bitcoin. Uh, the mayor of Miami wants to let taxpayers pay property taxes in Bitcoin. Uh, and then he himself is taking his salary in Bitcoin. Uh, so, wow. you know, other digital payments, you know, PayPal, App, not yet, but Apple Pay uh, pretty soon, Visa, MasterCard, you know, all of all of the, the different uh, fintech companies uh, allow for payments in crypto and allow buying in crypto. So, you know, this is where we're headed, Paul, and, uh, and all of these different technologies we're seeing are going to have a, a uh, for the most part, I think a very positive impact on uh, the way that we're able to, to provide services to our citizens. Yeah, I was just in an event the other day all about customer experience with payments. Actually, this is very timely, and, you know, one of the speakers was making the point that you know, all these apps and things on people's phones and the private sector, you know, they're really driving this and people are expecting this now from government as well. They're, you know, they're kind of baffled that we can't get paid with Venmo or PayPal or Zelle or whatever the app is of the day or Bitcoin, right? So, I mean, we have to really be flexible right. and start start doing this. Yeah, and, and we're so used to the instant uh, service capability of, you know, having those apps on our phones. And, and, and I think that's where our governments and especially AGA members who, who are kind of liaisons for, uh, you know, AGA and their organizations um, can start thinking about these problems and issues and, and the level of service and uh, customer facing services that, that we're providing now and start thinking about how we can better provide these in the future more timely, more efficiently, more effectively. And, and, and these tools are, or I, I believe where we're going to have to go. Yeah. And now that doesn't mean it's the end all be all. Right. Uh, but certainly, you know, if you think about companies now, uh, think Amazon now, but you know, back in the day, Sears Roebuck and company was the Amazon of its day for a hundred years. Well, they didn't adapt and innovate fast enough and they're gone. That's kind of the same thing here. I mean, government's not going to go away, obviously, but um, if we don't adapt to what the citizen wants from the standpoint of how the services are provided, um, then it may be they go somewhere else. Right, exactly. So, because the other thing, too, that was an interesting point they made uh, at this thing I was at was, you know, everybody, like you said, they want they want their payment now. They want it. What, why is it taking so long? You know, where's my IRS refund? I want it. I want it tomorrow. <laughs> and, and not, right, that, yeah. not that we can really do that, but, uh, that, but there's ways to show people, okay, well, where is it in the process? Even, you know, like a UPS or a FedEx or even Amazon, you can kind of track your order, so to speak. So I want to track my grant or track my IRS payment. Where is it, you know, received and in process, you'll be paid in X days. Even that, I mean, would be super helpful across government to get things out there like that. Yeah, it's just, it's all about effective communication, uh, really is what it is. Yep, absolutely. So um, I also wanted to talk a little bit here as we're getting close to the end, our little chat. Um, 
So I know AGA uh, has been hinting at a rebrand, and I, I know we can't release that info and, until I think they're actually going to do it at the NLT, I thought. But uh, were you, a, you were part of that process. Is there any, you know, any teasers you can give us as far as that goes? Well, um, I can only say a few things about it, Paul. Um, and I wasn't involved in the uh, initial processes, but as uh, obviously as, as national president and a member of the national governing board, uh, we we did get an update of where the uh, the, the consultant uh, was uh, coming up with their ideas, and so we did get to see some of that back in December. Uh, and, and I can uh, at least announce that we are going to have the grand reveal uh, of the end results of the rebranding at the NLT um, National Leadership Training uh, February 23rd uh, and 24th. And so we'll, we'll actually have the uh, unveiling after the first day at the end of the day. So uh, that'll be on the 23rd, that Wednesday. Uh, and basically what what we were trying to do is, is obviously, you know, the AGA being around for 72 years, back in the day uh, before the year 2000, we had a goal of, at that time, an organization goal of reaching 20,000 members. Uh, well, we, we didn't get there. We got as close as maybe anywhere from 16 to 17,000, but that's still you know, quite a ways from 20,000. So our, our name has been limiting uh, our ability to go to that next level. And, um, you know, we can talk till we're blue in the face that we're not just about accountants and auditors, that we have all kinds of other disciplines that are represented in, in AGA from our membership, you know, whether it's procurement officers, budget analysts, uh, IT specialists, um, a whole host of different disciplines other than auditors and accountants. Um, once we said Association of Government Accountants, we've lost people. So the rebranding is necessary and I think is foundational for us to uh, continue to present the message that, uh, that we are uh, a diverse membership. Uh, obviously, de demographically we are, but it's also to to just present the uh, image that we are also from a a discipline standpoint and skill set standpoint. So the whole goal uh, was, you know, to work with the uh, consulting team to just help us modernize and expand our brand to better reflect our diverse membership and the communities we're serving, and to be attractive really to the next generation of of the workforce. Um, that was really what this was trying to achieve. And I think based on, on my initial uh, look at it, um, I can tell you, Paul, that I was, I was like, wow, when I saw the, the ideas. I mean, it was impressive. And I think it, I was very excited. Uh, and I, I believe our membership will be very excited, too. And I definitely see uh, the trend of our, our, our membership growth going, going higher. Uh, and I do believe as part of my goal, I do want to see us in the next three to five years get to the 20,000 member membership numbers. And, and I think we can certainly do that now uh, when when the rebranding is in full steam ahead. Okay, well, that's exciting. We'll be looking forward to uh, to that unveiling. So I just had a couple more questions for you today. Uh, maybe start with the, you had talked about intergovernmental partnerships and then maybe after that, 
a little bit about sort of our virtual hybrid model we're still kind of living in with the COVID world, but how that might be, you know, where we still go in the future. But let's start with the intergovernmental partnerships. Yeah, um, we, we kind of say that the intergovernmental partnership is one of those kind of also best kept secrets, but there are so many great tools and resources that are on the intergov website on, on AGA's website that uh, it's kind of hard to believe that not everybody, you know, knows about it, obviously, but that, that certainly is probably going to be the case. Uh, there are so many great tools that are there, uh, really from the standpoint, you know, if you're an organization, especially a, a, a small local government, small not-for-profit, small uh, organization, uh, then, you know, if you have challenges in internal control, enterprise risk management, risk assessments, um, fraud prevention, in cybersecurity or, or either, even from the standpoint of kind of resolving your audit findings. Uh, well, the intergov, intergovernmental partnership and the intergov website have all of those tools that are available to you to uh, find those best practices. You don't have to reinvent the wheel if you want to establish a formal enterprise risk management um, framework for your, for your organization. Uh, you may have an informal one now and you want to go, you know, deeper into a deeper dive into to what it all means and how it can improve your organization. Well, that's what the intergovernmental partnership was all about. It was established in 2007, um, really between uh, uh, between the federal uh, between the uh, OMB and and the state and local governments. So federal government agencies, uh, state and local governments, um, really to bring everybody together to have those conversations, to build that communication and the relationships, uh, so that you know as we identify problems and issues, we can actually come to uh, some solutions oriented uh, problem solving. That was the whole kind of the whole purpose, and and I can definitely say that at least in my career from uh, when I started with our office in 1995, uh, and up until this point, I, I've definitely seen an improvement in the uh, in how we work together uh, among the different uh, levels of government. Uh, it didn't used to be that way. It used to be a little bit us versus them. Uh, now it's we're 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 looking for those solutions together. We are working together. Uh, we're trusting each other, and we're able to get get uh, work done rather than uh, be a little more combative. And so, I, I do see that uh, that the intergovernmental partnership is, is definitely one of those things that, if you're not aware of it, certainly check it out uh, because it, it has a lot of great tools that are available that have been developed by uh, AGA members, experts in their fields. Uh, in these areas. Uh, they populate uh, the InterGov website. Uh, cybersecurity, if an AGA member and their organization has had a cyber attack, okay, you know, tell us about it, you know, not in great detail, obviously, but what did you do to help solve that, solve that issue? Well, those are, those are case studies that are populated there that then other AGA members can get the benefit of that and they don't have to worry about, you know, reinventing the wheel. They can save taxpayer dollars in, in utilizing this resource. So that, that I think is where the, the great benefit of the service comes into play. Uh, 
in, in the play for us, Paul. Right. Yep. And it's right there on the website. And actually, we've done quite a few podcasts uh, on the subjects in here. So go check those out, too. Um, yeah. And, and I guess I'll also I, I do have to give a shout out to the the, cor- the over 75 corporate partners uh, that really have contributed a, a great deal of knowledge uh, and, and skills to helping uh, put those together with the research reports as well. Uh, all of these topics I mentioned, internal control, fraud, ERM, risk assessment, et cetera, um, have, have resulted in research reports that the corporate partners have done uh, for AGA, its members, and, and really, in the end, it benefits our citizens. So I do need to, I do need to uh, give them a lot of gratitude for, uh, for being a part of that as well. And, of course, a lot of our corporate partners, if all of them, also are members of AGA. Right. Yeah, and I've, and I've definitely read a lot of those reports, and I like the way they're laid out. They're easy to read, a lot of visuals, and just really great facts. And, and so, yeah, I definitely encourage folks to check those out. Um, so, uh, so one more question for you, and then I'll just give you a chance to kind of give a final thought. But um, I just thought I'd talk to you a little bit about, you know, you probably dealt with a, a lot of virtual and hybrid type uh, events and meetings and you know, a lot of folks obviously think about the downside, but there's some upside too, even just getting speakers from faraway locations, things like that. But just want to get your opinion on, on kind of how things are going with the virtual and hybrid uh, approach here. Yeah, um, I, I think, Paul, with the the, the virtual, uh, we've been doing it now for so long, for two years, and, and uh, it's, it's a comfort level for a lot of people now uh, until, until we get, you know, somewhat back to almost normal. Uh, but the hybrid model, I think, is is one that certainly for our chapter, we're going to continue to use going forward. Uh, I think the greatest benefit to that is if we were in-person only, we're not giving our, our members and, and potential members uh, the opportunity to be able to be active and participate in our AGA uh, CPE events, our chapter activities, other than CPE. Um, whereas if we, if we offer the hybrid event with, you know, a virtual component there, then we're allowing them to be able to still be, uh, to be active. Uh, and I would much rather be able to have an option where, where people can participate virtually, uh, just because otherwise we wouldn't have them at all. And so they get the benefit of, of participating. We get the benefit as well. And, and I think it's a win-win. Um, so, so going forward, I think it's going to be best if we do provide a hybrid. AGA National has, has been doing a hybrid since, for at least seven years, uh, for our, you know, big CPE events like the PDT, NLT, and, uh, Internal Control and Fraud Conference, et cetera. So, uh, I think AGA actually was, you know, pretty, wanted to be in the thought leader, uh, early on started doing that uh, before even other professional organizations. So it's been a great benefit to, to our members to be able to do that. Uh, and, and I think another part of it too, it's allowed chapters who've struggled through the COVID COVID last couple of years uh, to be able to put together uh, maybe regional events uh, instead of just doing it on their own, they can get two or three or four other chapters together and be able to do an event uh, uh, a little more widespread. And what we're finding out is, you know, the 
the content of those events, the, the technical agendas, uh, the programs have so much great content on them and great speakers that are not just local, but with virtual, you can get them from all over the country. And uh, that provides a great benefit to all AGA members. And in fact, we've seen, we've seen people from uh, attendees in some of our Nash- Nashville events uh, from, from DC and, and other places as well. So it, it allows for chapters to get the benefit and chapter members to get the benefit of, of, not just looking local, but looking nationally. Right. Yeah, no, I think the key, like you said, though, is if, if we can do those hybrid, because a lot of people do want to be in person, but people want to participate virtually, and that could be a speaker or an attendee, and there's a little technical difficulty, but once we get the hang of it, we can do it, and it'll be better for everybody. So, yeah, that's that's great. That's Absolutely. Great. And, and I think, Paul, I mean, everybody's going to understand, at least I hope everybody understands that, uh, that having the convenience of doing it virtually, I mean, yeah, you're, you're sometimes going to run into some uh, audio visual technicalities, uh, but overall it's still a much greater positive uh, than it is a negative. And probably at this point, we all just need to kind of, you know, ratchet it down a notch and just be patient with, with our leaders. And, and uh, uh, from that standpoint in, those of us who have, who have planned large events like the PDT or other annual conference with other organizations, you know, we, we've done these so many times, we understand that there is a lot more that goes into it than, than attendees will see that have never been part of that process. So I, I would just ask, you know, be patient. Uh, it still has great content, and, and that what, that's what the most important part of it is. Absolutely. All right. Well, Jerry, this has been great. Um, yeah, a lot of great stuff here. I love hearing about your, your themes, your, your presidency here. And I guess it's, you know, in a few months you'll be passing the gavel, but, uh, if any, any final thoughts you want to share with us as we uh, wrap up here, either just some encouragement or what you want to be doing the next few months, just go, go for it. Yeah. Um, obviously I'll be doing a lot of chapter visits coming up. And, uh, I think one of the biggest things that I just want to kind of focus on uh, as a wrap up, as we wrap up here, Paul, is uh, one of the things that I think is, is extremely important to me. And that is, is highlighting uh, and recognizing, you know, the AGA members across the country that have been those thought leaders and problem solvers have come up with those great ideas and, and recognize them not only at the chapter level, but at the, at the national level too, whether it's an AGA topics or leadership matters, whether it's a, a an AGA chapter like Guam that recognizes members monthly, they'll do it on social media and in their newsletters. Um, I, I just want to recognize and thank all all of our members who who are continuing to uh, to to be those thought leaders, problem solvers, and and demonstrating their servant leadership. Uh, so I, I would just like to leave. Uh, your audience with one quote from uh, Germany Kent is an author and journalist and he said it's a funny thing about life once you begin to take note of the things you are grateful for you begin to lose sight of the things that you lack and I think that's one of those things I'm just grateful for all of our AGA members uh, and our leaders for stepping up and uh, continuing to to, uh, develop their themselves professionally and uh, their leadership skills as well. 
All right. Well, thanks again for joining our show today. Appreciate it, Paul. Take care. That's our show. Thanks for tuning in. AGACGFM.org. Find all the podcasts there. Find them on your phone. Find them on your tablet. Find them everywhere. And we have many more coming. And we have the NLT coming up in just a couple weeks. And uh, hope to see folks there. It is a hybrid event. So hopefully we'll see some of you all in person, some of you on the screen. Looking forward to it. And until next time, this is your host, Paul Marshall, signing off for Accountability Talks with AGA.